another episode of the Bowfinger Minute podcast. Each week, Bo- Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1999 Frank Oz-directed comedy Bowfinger one minute of screen time per episode. I'm Bubba Wheat from It's Time to Rewind, and we are all here discussing Minute 34 of Bowfinger, starting with Bowfinger giving a pep talk to Carol and ending with Kit Ramsey saying that a black dude playing a slave gets a nomination, white boy plays an idiot gets an Oscar. Joining me once again is Lance Stanford, the Night Nerd. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Doing pretty good. And also joining me is Roger Wister from Roadhouse Minute. How are you doing today? Doing just great. Thanks, Bubba Wheat. Yeah, so let's get straight into this minute. Um, You know, uh, Bowfinger goes across the street to talk with Carol, who is getting her makeup done with uh, Daisy and one of the crew members wearing a wig cap. And I I think this is the the best moment of this minute is whenever Carol turns around and Steve Martin just just jumps back in shock. Yeah, his his double take by far, that that may be the funniest thing that we've seen happen all week. Every time I see that, I laugh out loud. Yeah, I think it's it's great, but at the same time, it it doesn't entirely make sense to why he's doing the double take because I feel like the joke is that she's wearing the wig cap, but you can see the wig cap from the other side because her face does not look like, it's not like she's wearing, you know, the, the stereotypical like mud mask. Uh, you know, she just has a, her normal face. I, well, I think this kind of goes back to um, kind of the theme, or not the theme, but a theme we've been talking about this week is what what Bowfinger, uh, Steve Martin's character, is used to. And I'm sure, like, on most productions, they don't, if they have uh, hair and makeup artists, they probably don't go to the trouble of doing wig caps and doing a wig and doing everything like that. Uh, so it, you know, like that might've, it's kind of in my head. That's what I thought about. That's what caught him off guard is he's used to people just doing whatever and maybe, you know, fixing their own hair and stuff. I mean, I think her, I think her face looks odd. Like when we, when we see the over the shoulder shot of Steve Martin, I can understand why he might react that way. Like when, when she turns to look at him with essentially no hair, and this sort of over elaborate makeup job and the look she has on her face, which is uber serious, which we're going to talk about probably more in this episode. Like 
I can understand the combination of those things being like visually arresting. Yeah. And, and as he's coming up, we can hear her say to the, the other people that uh, she spent 25 years in the theater before coming to Hollywood. And I think I, I'm curious what age Carol is supposed to be, because looking it up, Christine Baranski was 47 when filming this. So if we think that Carol was also 47 and she started working theater when she turned 18, that would mean that she's only been in Hollywood for four years. Does that, does that track with you? Or do you think that Carol is supposed to be an older actress, maybe in her mid fifties? I was going to say, I think it's kind of a, a callback to when Steve Martin earlier, he's like, Oh, you know, I'm put when he's talking about the dollar a week thing. And he's like, Oh, I'm th I'm this old, but I could play this old, or maybe even be this old. But then, if you do the math on a dollar a week, he's actually older than he says he was, and, and then it goes back to the everybody lies, and so older than she's claiming to be. Um, I, I think that's that, that's kind of what I my takeaway from it was. I think her age is totally believable. Um, I think. Well, I mean, let's 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 be clear. She's not a good actor. <laughs> um, and so, you know, yes, she might have spent 25 years in the theater. But for all we know, it was like local community theater or dinner theater. Like she she thinks that she is a renowned actor, you know, of the stage and is destined for, you know, I think she came to Hollywood probably four years before this, expecting to just kind of get launched into like this stratosphere, like Ian McKellen or someone like that, but she's just not a good actor. I think that that does make sense. And, and thinking, you know, talking about it out loud, it, it does make sense that she's only been in Hollywood for, you know, a few years and she still has this theater way of acting. You know, she's very broad. She's very, you know, she's playing to the back seat, to the back row. She reminds me a little bit. Have you ever seen the movie Galaxy Quest? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> she reminds me a little bit of Alan Rickman's character in the sense that he is, you know, this person who thinks he's a really famous stage actor, but because he's gotten hooked onto this science fiction TV show, everybody else just views him as being this kind of schlocky guy who can only deliver this one line. Um, it's a little bit like that. Obviously, he's probably a better actor in that movie than she is playing in this movie. Um but there's a little bit of the same sort of like, how dare I, you know, I'm a professional. I expect to be working with professionals. And, you know, this this is beneath me. Carol plays a lot of this is beneath me in this movie. That's another trope. You know, we were, we were talking about all the tropes of movies made about movies. And I, I think that's one that you see, um, whether it be Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder or uh, Harvey Corman's character in Blazing Saddles. Um, you know, yeah, there's always that person who is, who is better. They're, they think they're better than they really are. And I, I think that's a, usually a really fun character. And I, I think it was Monday, Roger, you mentioned like how Christine, like she just steals this movie in a lot of places. And I, yeah, I love it. Yeah. And I, I think that Carol has an interesting way of speaking too, because the way she talks about like Kit Ramsey, you know, she's like, she says, he's just young and talking about hone your craft. 
And it just, even whenever, like, because this is not, Carol at this point is not playing a character. She is like this way all the time. <laughs> she is always this overdramatic actress. And I think that's great because it, it is another, I, I think it's interesting whenever you contrast it with Bowfinger because Bowfinger feels like a normal person, but he's putting on a character to do all of this. And I think Carol is the same way, but in a different sense because she is this character of this actress, this well-known, this greater, like in her head, she's a greater actress than she actually is. Do you think that this you know, even in this behind the scenes, her interacting with Bowfinger, do you feel like this is a character that she's presenting or if she's like this way at home as well? Like if she's just always on? I think she's always on. I, I think I think when we look at Heather Graham's character, um, especially later on in the film, like she is a different person depending who she's with and if she's in the camera, behind the camera, whatever. But the, this character is every time we see her, whether it's in uh, on scene interactions or like when she busts into the the suit place later, like she's always the same person. So I, I would think she's like that at at home too. Yeah, I mean, if you look at sort of the people that are part of this movie production, I think there are some like like Dave and Daisy who like they know the score they know what's going on um and then i think there are some characters um like carol um like afram who i really think they believe like they've they're either they've either lied to themselves for so long or they're just they just want to believe so much that like their their fiction has become their reality like they're the ones that drank the kool-aid or they you know they they want it so bad that this is this is this is what you do. She kind of feels like a, a Norman Desmond without the success. <laughs> yeah, and then you know we get this nice little stereotypical makeup application with uh, Daisy just kind of patting her forehead with this giant makeup sponge, <laughs> which that again that that kind of plays to the audience's expectations of film makeup because that's that's kind of the expectation and they're playing into it and one thing that I didn't notice until watching it again right before we started is whenever Steve Martin leaves he gives her like a quick kiss followed up by something I noticed which is that uh, Bowfinger has a very odd running style (laughs) yes I I definitely wrote that down he he runs across the road kind of like the penguin (laughs) it's like he's Trying to sneak around, but in a hurried manner, but still like, maintaining composure. I, I don't know. Like if There's I, a lot of if, interesting body movements in this week. If yeah. I hunch my shoulders and take little choppy steps, maybe no one will notice me. Yeah, yeah Steve Martin. Fact, despite the fact that no one is actually paying attention. <laughs> yeah, Steve Martin is such a great physical actor that, yeah, th- this, this hurried walk, it's like he's trying to hurry, but he doesn't want to run but he's not really going that fast. And that's all just conveyed in this silly way that he walks. And, and like you said, it's like, he's not trying to draw attention to himself, but in by 
by doing that, theoretically, he's actually drawing more attention to himself by walking this way rather than just casually walking slowly across the street or even even just jogging across the street would probably draw less attention than whatever it is he's doing but i feel like that's a very bow finger thing to do though like mm-hmm. oh no I'm, I'm really just low-key playing it cool but then it's oh if somebody notices me well they notice me because i'm bow finger not because i'm walking funny or or something like that yeah and then you know we we round out this minute with this fantastic Eddie Murphy rant about Hollywood and him not getting nominated for any of his work because he's never, never gotten a role as a slave (laughs) because he he wants his role as a slave. He says, you know, uh, a black dude plays a slave getting his butt whipped and he gets nominated. A white guy plays an idiot. He wins an Oscar. And I did do a little bit of research for this. And I, I think it's, you know, it's it's pretty obvious the the white dudes playing idiots that he's talking about. So, you know, you go to Dustin Hoffman and, and Rain Man, and at this point, Tom Hanks would have won for Forrest Gump. Had a Beautiful um, Mind came out by this point? No, yeah. Beautiful Mind is after. Yeah, uh, but then I I didn't actually see any slave roles, at least not for male actors. Um, the the only prominent oscar-nominated slave role that i noticed was chuitel Ejiofor for 12 years a slave but that was not for many years later i mean denzel washington got nominated for glory he's not technically a slave at the time that he is playing that character in the movie but it's a little bit like that yeah i, I noticed that and i it's it had been a little while since i'd watched glory i knew it was like civil war and i remember that he was a soldier but i didn't remember if he was a slave before becoming a soldier or not how much are are we all pretty much convinced i i feel very strongly that the scene was improvised by eddie murphy so it part of it was i i went down the imdb um real quick though even for roots i know that that was emmys not oscars um lavar burton was nominated but he didn't win an emmy for that so that can maybe also be when he's talking about getting nominated and not won um yeah they said like there wasn't a whole lot of improv on this movie but in this scene eddie murphy threw in some uh especially toward the end of the rant like threw in some of his own eddie murphy flair i I forgot how they worded it but it was very much like eddie murphy just did his thing and which it comes across that way in a in a good way though yeah it feels like a a classic eddie murphy bit so that you know this feels very eddie murphy in the best way possible and just him going off on this talking a mile a minute about something and you know the first time you're watching it you might not even catch all of it but it it's just going by so fast but it's funny just because it's eddie murphy delivering it and and on top of that you know his agent just like haplessly taking it all in I mean, one of the things that I really like about this movie is you get a little, you get a lot less of that Eddie Murphy being Eddie Murphy. Like there's, there's way less shtick. He plays, he plays his character a lot more than you see in a lot of his other movies where it's just sort of like, okay, new scene, Eddie Murphy is going to come on set and do Eddie Murphy things. This is much more him fitting himself into a movie. 
And so in, in a lot of ways, this scene is like the the Eddie Murphyist scene in the movie. Do you think that's part of the reason this movie has gotten, um, I'd say lost, but, you know, like we, we've talked about a little bit this week, how, it, yeah, they kind of get lost in the shuffle. And it's not one people talk about a whole lot. Uh, do you think it's because it's not Eddie? I mean, because even in Shrek, Eddie Murphy's Eddie Murphy, just as voice. Um, do you think that might have contributed something to to the results of this film? Oh, 100%. I mean, in the same breath, a lot of people say this is one of his best performances. And at the same time, this movie was pretty much forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't we don't get any minutes with Jeff, but, you know, Jeff is such a great character, too, and so different and so unique from the Kit character. It's it's really a fantastic performance. I mean, I guess the bitter irony from this scene, like one of the things I really love about this minute is that, again, you know, this movie, this movie in an outrageous way contains a lot of truth. And I think this scene is a good example of that. Like all the things that Eddie Murphy is saying make total sense They're, I mean, they're outrageous. They're played for laughs, but his basic point is true. It's sort of cruelly ironic that the one chance that Eddie Murphy has to win an Oscar um, is the one where he plays it probably the most straight, you know, and, and I think it was a real shame that he didn't win for dream girls when he probably should have. And really the only other thing that I have about this minute is I, I like, you know, at the very end, we see the agent move aside and we get a, a shot of Slater just sitting right there at the next table over, just completely looking at his menu nonchalantly during this whole rant. Um, but this, yeah, th- this is actually kind of a, a light minute. I, d- I don't really have any other notes. Does anybody, do either of you have anything else that you want to say about this minute? Uh, I mean, I, I keep going back to the movies about movies and you got to wonder how much of Robert Downey Jr.'s rant in Tropic Thunder came from this rant too, because it's not exactly the same word for word, but there's a lot of... Uh, I, I saw a lot of influence, you know, as far as when you when you talk about what roles you take to win awards, it watching Bowfinger now, I'm like, oh my gosh, that they totally lifted that from there. Um, which I don't know, anytime you lift from a movie, I feel like that just speaks to the quality of the movie too, though. Uh, like how good it is to be lifted from. Let me let me phrase it that way. Yeah. Uh, Roger, do you have anything else? No, I'm good. I'm excited for the next minute too. <laughs> I'm excited to close out, close out the week with a big climax. Yeah, so am I. So let's go ahead and finish this off. And Lance, why don't you go ahead and remind everybody where they can find you and your work online. So uh, if you want to check out my podcast, it's The Night Nerd, N-I-G-H-T-N-E-R-D. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, anywhere you you know scroll through looking at funny pictures and stuff, I, I do it all. If you want to check out any of my books, um, I write short fiction, kids' books, stuff like that. You can look for me on Amazon, Lance, L-E-N-C-E, Stanford, S-T-A-N-F-O-R-D. Um, you know, just come check me out, say hi. I, I love talking to you and I appreciate everything. And I appreciate being on this. I appreciate y'all having me. Uh, this has been a whole lot of fun this week. And Roger? Well, yes, well, you can come and join uh, my wife, Marcy, and me on Roadhouse Minute, where we break down uh, Patrick Swayze's magnum opus one minute at a time. Um, or you can come and join us on Facebook at the new Double Deuce uh, or on Twitter. We're at, at RH Minute. 
And once again, I am your host leading you this week on Bowfinger Minutes. I am Bubba Wheats, and you can find me on my podcast, It's Time to Rewind. I also have a, another music-focused podcast called Lyrical Innuendo, where uh, every other week on Fridays, me and my co-host break down the lyrics of a song. Um, in history, we kind of go back and forth between popular songs and uh, lesser known songs. We break down the lyrics and find any hidden meanings in them. And uh, often we we find, we pick out the ones that have like the, the sexual innuendos or the drug innuendos, all the, all the fun stuff. That's a little bit more uh, grown up sensibilities, grown up uh, explicit humor there. Uh, something that you don't always find on my other podcasts. And you can find all the rest of my work where I'm at Bubba Wheat on Twitter. And you can find the Bowfinger Minute podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, or at the main site, bowfingerminute.com. Please like, subscribe, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to join the discussion, be sure to join the Welcome to Minehead, the Bowfinger Minute Listener Center on Facebook, or follow the show on Twitter at Bowfinger Minute. Be sure to join us here next time on the Bowfinger Minute. In the meantime, Keep it together, 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 keep it together. Together, children. I hope that we'll see you again. Cause there's always one more Show. One more show.